Welcome to In Conversation with Our Food Future, the podcast series that's following the creation of Canada's first circular food economy right here in Guelph, Wellington. I'm Barb Schwartzenchaber, the Executive Director of the Smart Cities Office and host of the podcast series. On today's show, we're talking to local experts in food security and social enterprise, exploring the effect the pandemic has had on our local food security system and the steps that we can take and are taking to address it. So let's pull up our chairs around the kitchen table and get the conversation started. Great. I'm here today with Gavin Dandy, who is the Managing Director of the SEED, a food security program of the Guelph Community Health Centre. The SEED runs programs and social enterprises that address the immediate effects, but also the root causes of food insecurity. Gavin also sits on our Food Futures Circular Jobs and Business work stream, as well as our Nutritious Food work stream. I'd like to also welcome Sarah Hanstra, who is the manager of Toward Common Ground, a partnership of 12 organizations working together to gain a greater understanding of the strengths, gaps, and change efforts needed to respond to critical social needs across Guelph and Wellington County. Sarah also supports our Food Futures Nutritious Foods Workstream. So welcome, Gavin and Sarah. Um, Sarah, I wanted to, to jump in right away with um, some of the data and some of the stats. So public health and the nutritious food stream led some survey work on behalf of our partners that looked at food security issues in Guelph, Wellington, particularly, you know, what's happening in the context of the COVID pandemic. Can you tell us something of uh, the key learnings from that survey? And also, was there anything in there that was surprising or that surprised you? Sure. Um, so the Nutritious Food Workstream, uh, with support from Public Health, did uh, two surveys. One was a community-wide survey where we looked at food insecurity and access to affordable, nutritious food. And another was a survey with emergency food providers. Um, so in terms of the community-wide survey, uh, in our sample, we found that 12.1% of Guelph Wellington residents reported living in a food insecure household in the past 30 days. So that was the reference period. We asked people to reflect on the, the previous 30 days. Um, and of those households, 16.5% uh, were severely food insecure. Um, surprising, I guess, or, or interesting, I think, and informative in terms of uh, interventions is that 63% uh, of those households uh, that identified uh, themselves as being food insecure uh, for them, it was a new experience. So it was something that was not present before uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And of those households, so now just digging a little deeper, of those that said they were food insecure um, and it was a new experience, 69% of those said that uh, that was because of COVID. So that food insecurity experience was because of COVID. Um, I would say that part's not surprising. Um, I think income is the root cause of food insecurity. So an unexpected um, job loss or an income shock um, could certainly lead to people not being able to afford food. Um, but I think it certainly speaks to the secondary effects of the pandemic um, that we're seeing in our community in terms of, um, you know, how the measures that have been put into place are impacting people kind of in real, real ways in real time. Very true. Yeah. From that perspective, you're right. I don't. I don't think that's surprising. I think. I think we can see that Im impact for sure. So, Gavin, 
Um, is there anything in these results that surprised you? Uh, you've been at this work for a long time, and I'm also wondering what are your thoughts on um, these kinds of surveys and whether it's important that we continue to do them and and you know what are what are the next steps around actioning and, and taking action based on this information? Yeah, Barbara, I think that's the key, right? Is what what do we do with this? Uh, there's there's to answer your first question, no, there's not really too much that surprised me, but um, there's some really important detail and, and kind of nuance to this information that is really critical, understanding specific answers to specific questions and, and, and knowing where people are at and hearing people's voices through these statistics is super important. But I think doing something with it is, is the key. And, and I think I'm really excited about the survey because I, I'm not excited by the results. The results are terrible. And 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 they they tell a story of a society, you know, we've we've come to expect these results. And I think that's part of the big part of the problem is we we shouldn't we should be surprised that, that if we ever hear anyone in our society doesn't have access to nutritious food. That should be a shock to us. But the reality is it's not. We're all prepared for that information. And I think that speaks to the fact that we need to set higher standards for ourselves as a society. We, as a community, Guelph and Wellington, we, we are starting to set those standards. We're starting to say, no, it's not okay that, that over 10% of people you see on the streets or people in our community don't have access, consistent access to nutritious food. No, that's not okay. And we can solve that and we should solve that and we should hold ourselves accountable. And so why I'm excited about this study is because it sets a baseline for us or starts to set a baseline so that in six months, 12 months, 18 months, etc., we might do similar studies and hopefully they will show that we're moving in the right direction with this. Um, and I think that's the key to all of this because no one wants to participate in just a study that's going nowhere. But everyone or most people are excited about participating in something that has a chance to make a difference. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's why I appreciate working with you. You you turn the questions on their on their heads. I, I think you're right. The question is, you know, we we shouldn't be surprised uh, about this. And that is that is the problem in and of itself that we that we aren't surprised. We really should be. So, um, Sarah, uh, Gavin was talking about the fact that, you know, we, we do need to have the data. We do need to have it in part because it represents the voice of, of people that often aren't heard. And the Nutritious Food Working Group um, is made up of a, a number of cross-sectoral partners. And I know that you're looking at that issue of food access from a number of different perspectives. And, and there's more work that you're doing to have voices heard and to understand the landscape. Can you say a little bit more about the, the additional information that you're looking to gather? Yeah, of course. Um, so we, we're working right now to collect information from people who are food insecure. So to really hear from people who, who have that experience and then to inform um, interventions in response. Um, we're also working on a broader food environment assessment. So we're really um, looking to collect information to help us understand 
what um, what is the experience of accessing affordable, nutritious food in Guelph and Wellington? Um, we look at kind of what does neighborhood-based uh, food access look like? What kind of food programming and infrastructure do we have? What food outlets uh, do we have? Where are they located? What kind of food do they offer? Um, what policies support access uh, to affordable, nutritious food and uh, uh, healthy food choices? What's the community perspective? What do people think about their access to food? Um, and then consumer purchasing and consumption behavior is another piece. All of that together uh, is what we call a food environment assessment. So it gives us sort of like a current state snapshot that tells us um, about those various pieces. Um, and really it's about, um, it, we're thinking about people having access to food, um, the food that they want, having options that meet their dietary and cultural needs. We're thinking about ease of access, like how close is a grocery store or a food market or a food pantry? Do you have to get on a bus to go there? Do you have to get someone to pick you up from your, your house out, out in the country to get somewhere? Um, and so we wanna do that assessment um, as part of our food environment assessment to inform an action plan. And that action plan will then identify interventions to sort of target our biggest gaps or, or areas of need. Um, and that's sort of our work over the next uh, six months or so to really collect that additional information that, that allows us to make those evidence-informed uh, decisions in terms of the interventions that will make a difference in our community. That's terrific. That's a really comprehensive amount of work that that, that table is undertaking. And, and, you know, sort of using it as a jumping off point, Gavin, and coming back to our conversation about, you know, it's important to have the information, but at a certain point you have to, you know, make, make an impact and do something about it. The seed takes a particular view of how we might address food insecurity. Can you, can you say a bit about your social enterprise model and, and how that difference from, differs from a charity-based approach? Yeah, for sure, Barbara. And and I think, I think before I I do that, I just want to say, you know, if we all, and I think we do, increasingly buy into the goal that we want Guelph Wellington to be one of the first communities in Canada where everyone in the community has consistent access to nutritious food. And think about the simplicity of that statement, and think about the fact that 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 there aren't communities in Canada right now that 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 most communities don't have that and, and haven't achieved that. And and then I think about the seeds role in that process. And I see the seed as one of many, many organizations and businesses and uh, and entities and, and part of a whole community of individuals and groups that set their mind to this. So when I talk about the seeds approach to it, doesn't mean that you know, by any means, that's the entirety of our community's approach. It's just the seeds niche in that huge, amazing group of activities. I think of it like an ecosystem of food, right? Like if you, it takes a community to feed itself, right? It takes community to feed community. And everything that Sarah, you just described is, is so important in that work, right? We need, we need stores, we need farmers, we need people moving food from A to B, we need people with high enough incomes living wage, all these things. And so where the seed fits in is we, 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 most of our work, not all of it is focused on social enterprises. And that's basically running food businesses that have, we hope a really positive impact on the community. And so that, that generates employment and it creates opportunities for people who currently can't access food to get good food. It also creates opportunities for people who have sufficient income 
and don't have any food worries to participate as customers in these social enterprise and contribute to the to the well-being of the whole community. So that's that's the model that the seed is pursuing. The thing I like about that model is that we're taking money that exists in our community, food dollars that people already spend and and preserving it in our community and actually investing it, reinvesting it in our community so that more people can eat well. That's terrific, Gavin. And and I I think you're right. I think I think there's tension in the system in the sense that our current food system, you know, has more than enough uh, capacity and ability to feed everybody. Um, and it's just not happening. And part of the work of this project is to try to unpack that and, and find the intervention points that, um, you know, ultimately try to change that system and, and ensure that people have access. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what I love about working in the Our Food Future Collaborative is that there are so many different voices and so many different uh, organizations that have capacity in different areas. And you can see at the meetings and at the and at the work that comes out of those meetings how important it is that a whole community kind of puts their minds to this because no one organization, no one person can solve this this wicked problem, as they say, of food insecurity. Uh, it takes a community to do that. And, and um, that's been the most amazing part of being part of Our Food Future is how that collaboration is really happening. You're right, it is. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity to work with a whole range of people that take a different perspective on it. And, and you know, together we're, we're figuring out interventions that might not have come together in the same way or happened in quite the same way before. And sort of on that point, Gavin, can you, can you say a little bit more about the kinds of interventions that, um, that are, are on the horizon from, from the perspective of the work that you're doing with your partners um, that really start to address some of the issues that we saw are seeing in when we do this kind of survey work? Yeah, well, the, the one that's top of mind for me right now is our is a social enterprise that the seed is about to launch called Groceries from the Seed, and it's it's uh, as it sounds, it's a it's a grocery service. So so people of all incomes can order their groceries online and have them delivered to their door. Um, what makes this different from other grocery stores is that uh, people lower income community members have access to discount memberships so they have access they can shop for all the same healthy products as everyone else but they get them at a discount anywhere from 25 to 75 percent off the retail price and all of that is made possible because we also have 100 percent paying customers so customers that are paying the regular retail price and uh so we take the, the 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 small margin profit that we get from selling to those community members and we use it to backfill and provide discounts to to people who otherwise couldn't afford good food that's great and and sarah do you want to get in on this one because i know that nutritious food working uh group is is looking at other uh kinds of interventions as well do you want to do you want to comment on that 
Sure. Um, I was just going to add, you know, I think and help, like helpful sort of in terms of, and I'm thinking of, of Gavin's example that he just gave, like when we think about access, we're thinking about kind of physical and economic access, um, about geographic accessibility, food availability, but also food pricing and financial abilities and all of that together. Um, you know, we have to think about how all those sort of intersect, right? Um, and so when we're thinking about interventions, we're certainly thinking about providing food to people who are food insecure. We're also thinking about helping people make a choice um, in terms of ease of access, of accessing nutritious food. And sometimes, you know, cost can be a factor for everybody. And, and if something appears to be more expensive, you may be less likely to buy that item. So um, those are the kinds of things. So uh, just sort of a lens in terms of thinking about where interventions might land and those all of those pieces intersect with each other. So a geographic location and a cost of food and an ability to pay can all be one person's experience in terms of what we need to think about uh, when we're implementing interventions. And uh, again, increasing that access and making it easy for people, easy, affordable, economically affordable um, to, to access nutritious food that meets their needs. Wonderful. I, I just wanna end uh, our really interesting conversation today by asking you a question that I, I, I put to everybody that joins us on the podcast. Um, and I, the question is, uh, can, you, can you share a, a little bit about a memorable meal or a family or cultural tradition or a connection to the land and growing food that's meaningful to you? And can you reflect a bit on, you know, what of that experience do you think you're bringing with you into this work and into your passion for reimagining a better food system? I ask that question because all of our collaborators bring such a passion that is, you know, to this work that is really connected uh, to, to the food system. It's connected to changing lives. And uh, maybe you could just share a little bit more about yourself by sharing a memory about a memorable meal or a connection to the land. Gavin, you want to go first? Sure, I'd love to. That's a, that's a great question, Barb. I'm going to squeeze two in really quick. <laughs> one pre-COVID, one pre-COVID and one COVID. So the pre-COVID one is uh, right up until COVID, the seed was doing a Thursday uh, upcycle kitchen lunch in the uh, at the kitchen and atrium of the main community health center building downtown where the seat is located and the the meals were amazing nutritious meals made by a combination of staff and volunteers and 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 youth who were employing to train and and uh and to give meaningful employment uh to so that they can grow and become food leaders and the and and it was all being sold. Uh, the the lunches are sold at, at sliding scale, from zero to ten dollars, whatever you want to pay. And the end result was this really dynamic community uh, vibe with people of all incomes and and different backgrounds all having lunch in the same space and sharing tables together. And 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 we got so many great um, excited, uh, so much great excited feedback about that. People were thrilled. And I'd, lo I'd love to get back to that in the near future when COVID uh, has been uh, put behind us. And, th and the other one is, is a COVID experience, and that is uh, in the fall when uh, hundreds, I think it was over 400, well, let me get my numbers right, it was over 250 volunteers who went out to our the Seeds partner farm, Everdale, and helped to harvest over 60,000 pounds of food, which then... Uh, went to the seed and other emergency food provision agencies. And the people, the volunteers, 
they were just so thrilled to be outside and to be doing something really positive and healthy and contributing to their community. And it was just such a feel this feel good series of events. I think we had about ten different harvest days, and uh, I'll never forget that. Uh, it was it was really really heartwarming, and I'm looking forward to more of the same this year. That's great. I think we're all going to be there on the volunteers <laughs> day this year for sure. Sarah, what about you? Um, well, I'll, I'll just start by saying I, I knew a question like this was coming. I know you like to ask a question like this, and I, I really enjoyed kind of thinking about what I might say because, um, well, I love to eat good food. And so just having a moment to think about some of those times was really nice. Um, but what I kept coming back to is times where, um, you know, eating was about community and connection. And so uh, one thing I thought I would share is um, the last few years, um, our, our family, so my partner and my two kids, we do a raclette on New Year's Eve. It's like a Swiss tradition. We are, we are not Swiss, but um, we like the idea of it. You put a grill in the middle of the table. Um, it's usually a lot about cheese. Ours becomes a bit more of a stir fry sort of situation. Um, and we just sort of cook up food for a few hours on, on New Year's Eve and we talk and we laugh. And uh, I think the first time we did it, my son was five and we had to help him. And, and now he's nine. So he's able to do a little more on his own. Um, but it really just gives them the sense that food is about being with people and connecting and talking and laughing and not being rushed when when the occasion allows for it. Um, and so, yeah, as a tradition, it's been it started out as a one time thing and, and everybody loved it so much that we we do it every year. Um, and yeah, like I said, community and connecting is what came to mind and all of the times. And of course, we missed that a bit during COVID, but um, all of the times when that is possible and hopefully it will be possible more in the future um, and the way that food sort of just brings people together and allows for that opportunity. Well, thank you so much. Those are, I, I love ending on those stories because it brings us all back, I think, to why we are doing this work in the first place, uh, you know, changes in the food system really can change how we come together as people and uh, it's all about our, our values and, and the kind of world that we, that we want to live in. So I want to thank both of you for being part of this project and uh, it's really a tremendous privilege, not just to talk to you today, but to work with you on this. So, so thanks very much and take care. Thank you, Barbara, and thank you, Sarah. Great to work with you both. It's a lot of fun. Thanks, and, uh, we're we're going to move mountains as a community. I'm Barb Schwarzenegger, Executive Director of the Smart Cities Office and host of In Conversation with Our Food Future. Thanks for joining me. And if you have ideas for a show or comments, you can email us at foodfuture@guelph.ca. Until next time, take care and let's keep the conversation going on foodfuture.ca.